Hey, look, if you are newer and uh, just kind of figuring some of these things out with us, I know um, there's just parts of, you know, what we do here that hopefully we're, we're walking you through that as best we can and just making you feel like you're part of the family. I know, um, you know, sometimes being new to church, especially if any of you are new to church, it's like, man, what are they doing? What is this weird kind of stuff? But listen, everything we do here, every, every part of the service that we have, whether it's communion or just reading scripture together, obviously preaching and singing and all, guys, it is just to focus our hearts and our minds on Christ on Jesus, right, and what he has done for us, um, and hopefully just to continue to lift up his word, to walk and live by the Spirit, and just to celebrate who he is and what he's done for us. Um, last week, uh, thank you, by the way, um, look, I just want to say thank you to the church, and I say that because, not, not that y'all feel like, what did I do? I didn't do anything, um, but listen, I, I, we are a church that we have so many awesome volunteers, so many wonderful people that whether you are just here and you're listening and you're part of it, the, the fellowship of the church or you are volunteering wherever you're volunteering in different areas, um, whether on stage or back in Adventureland or wherever, I feel like we have a church that is just so cohesive and unified in our love for the Lord and one another um, and that there are some Sundays where I feel like I don't even need to be here. Um, I was not here last week, and it was, honestly, it was a blessing. I was out in Mississippi um, at a youth conference uh, speaking out there, so that was fun. But, I, you know, I had no worries, and I knew that Jesus was lifted up last week as you guys jumped into Romans together. Uh, Pastor Hunter Holbrook from the other campus came and uh, shared with you guys, just opened up the book of Romans, and I'm so excited today to, to finally myself be able to jump in with you guys. By the way, there are some bookmarks. If you haven't gotten a bookmark, we're going to be walking through Romans really this entire year. We're going to break that up into four different series. Okay, this is the first one, and then we'll jump back in in May, and then I think August, and then November, we'll kind of have four different series um, that we walk through, because really the book is, it really is in sort of some sections, okay, kind of leading towards um, just the application of the gospel in our lives. So if you haven't gotten a bookmark, there's some right here, there's some here, and there's some, I'll say, you can come get one right now if you want, you can get one before you leave, um, that'd be great. So like Scott said, if you want to grab a Bible, Grab your own Bible, open it up. I just want to encourage you, bring your Bibles and open them up with us. Um, yes, they are on the screen. However, I do love the, uh, the practicality of us all just having a Bible with us. If you don't have one, um, there's probably one somewhere around you. Not every chair has it under it, but a lot of chairs do. If you, don't, if you need one, just put a hand up. Somebody grab a Bible under your chair and hand it to that person. Love for you to have a Bible, okay? So Romans chapter 1 is where we're going to jump in today. Um, but before we uh, read Romans 1, and this, this actually won't be on the screen, so you can turn with me if you want to 1 Corinthians 15. Here's what I want to do. I want to read this little paragraph to you because we're going to talk a lot about the gospel today um, and, and just what the gospel means and why Paul says he is unashamed of it. Why is he unashamed of the gospel? That's the question for today. So I actually want to read 1 Corinthians 15, uh, starting in verse 3, because this is the message of the gospel. I want to read this the message of the gospel of which Paul is unashamed. Okay, so here's what he says. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Amen? Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. So Paul is just kind of, that, that right there is a sort of a, a credo statement of the early church that Jesus died according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and on the third day that he rose again here in a couple months, we'll be celebrating Easter Sunday, and that's what that day is about, just sort of the, the centrality of the resurrection of Jesus. I think a lot of times we 
We focus almost exclusively on the cross and forget the resurrection. Like that's part of the gospel, right? And that Jesus died and that he rose again. So that's the message of it. And Paul's just saying, here's, here's sort of the, 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 the first importance. That's what he says, 1 Corinthians 15, 3. That's a first importance, that we get that, that we know that, that we believe that in our hearts. So if you believe that, if you believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins to pay the penalty of that, that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day and that he is now Lord and Savior, then you are a Christian, right? That is our confession as Christians, and that's what Paul um, is saying. So back to Romans chapter 1. Here, here's the verses for today again. Romans 1, starting in verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed of 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul says, I am not ashamed of this gospel. The word gospel, you probably, most of you guys know. What is God, what's, what's the definition of gospel? Just that word. Good news. Very good. Uh, euangelion in Greek, it just means good news. That word is not an unfamiliar word to the Romans. Um, it's not an unfamiliar word to the Jews. The gospel really has been preached throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament. Yes, the gospel's in the Old Testament too. Um, just about the salvation, God's redemption of humanity through his son, Jesus Christ. But even the Romans, the Greeks, they had an idea of what the word gospel meant because that's a Greek word. Euangelion's a Greek word. Just means good news. Gospel was something that they would say, this is what the Roman emperor issues, right? When he issues decrees that are good news. Oftentimes he would send a herald, he would send an ambassador, what we call in church world a preacher, but the Roman emperor would send out a, a, a preacher, so to speak, an ambassador, a, a, somebody to go and herald good news, herald gospel. We won the war against the barbarians, right? We, or this was often some good news that the Roman emperor would send out. I have a son born to me, right? And the, the herald would go throughout the towns proclaiming gospel to everyone, the, the emperor's gospel. So they're not unfamiliar with that term. When Paul says that I am unashamed of the gospel, right? And we're going to get into what he means by the gospel. But let's talk about that, that term, I'm not ashamed. What does that mean um, when Paul says I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed? It's not um, so much just about kind of embarrassment. Um, this word, this word that Paul used, this idea of shame really comes with the idea of if you were ashamed of something, if, if you had this kind of shame, you would bear shame if you had aligned yourself with something that is wrong, that is false, that is untrue, or that proves to be the wrong side. You have chosen a side, and if you have chosen a side and it proved to be the wrong side, that would be shame. You would bring shame upon your Self. This is a, a common idea for them as well. Um, for, for us, it might have been like, if, if you think back to you know, Nazi Germany, right? Back, back when Hitler rose to power, we forget this. Um, what country did, did the Nazis take over first? Germany. Took over Germany first, right? And we always think Germany was the bad guys. Like the Nazis took over Germany. Hitler took over. But in the beginning of all that, if you kind of look at history, um, it was just like this guy rose power. He was very charismatic, right? He seemed like a great leader. He had great thoughts. He had great ideas. He spoke really well. And a lot of people aligned them, even Christians, like aligned themselves with this guy, thinking, yes, he's got good plans. He's got good thoughts. I'm going to align myself with him. And then after a while, as they started to see those plans flesh out and anti Semitism, 
anti-Semitism and all the concentration camps and how World War II broke out and all of that, then of course, many who would have early on aligned themselves with Hitler would have felt what? Shame. Great shame to realize, oh my gosh, I picked a side here and it was the wrong side. That's the shame that Paul's talking about when he says, I'm not ashamed of what? The gospel. Why? Because it's not the wrong side. And I know that. So here's the question for today. All right, here the question for today is, how does Paul know and why is he unashamed of the gospel? How does he know he's not ashamed? And how does he know he's not going to be ashamed ever of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, so that's our question for today. And I'm going to just give us a few points, a few answers to that question right here in this passage and in Romans chapter 1, a few other scriptures as well. Here's the first point. Why is Paul unashamed of the gospel? Number one, because the gospel is the power of God. That's what he says, right? I am unashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. Let's just stop there. It is the power of God. Let's read verse 1, 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of who? Gospel of God. The gospel of God. Like I said, the Romans, the Greeks, uh, even the Jews, they are aware of this term, euangelion in Greek, and how it was generally thought of as the emperor gave the good news, right? The emperor was the herald of such things. And Paul is saying, look, that is a gospel. That is some good news, whatever the emperor would bring into the town. I'm telling you, this is the gospel, and it belongs to God. He owns it. Why is Paul unashamed of the gospel? Because God owns the gospel. It is his gospel, the gospel of God. And he says it is the, the power of God. Um, David Seckham, he's a, he's, a, he's a scholar. He says this. He says the Greek word here for power is the word dynamis, okay? What does that word sound like? Dynamis. Dyna might, right? Power. That's what the Greek word is. Dynamis. And uh, uh, the word Alfred Nobel chose to name dynamite. Alfred Nobel created dynamite. He chose the Greek word dynamis, power, to name dynamite. And he says this. This is what um, David Seckham says, the, this, this um, gospel scholar. He said, the gospel is the dynamite of God used to rescue human beings from eternal death. It is power because it actually does liberate people from the most horrible structure of oppressive tyranny that exists. Yet, paradoxically, it flows from what seemed like utter powerlessness, the death of a man on a cross. Isn't that the beauty of the gospel, right? That the gospel has the power to liberate, to free, to forgive, to redeem, to change, to transform. And it's the power of almighty God. And yet it begins with what? The most powerless, seemingly powerless act, a man dying a slave's death on a cross. That's how it begins. And that's why the gospel doesn't end with the cross the resurrection of Jesus Christ and beyond that even of his ascension back to heaven and his return to the earth where we begin to see this gospel, this story, this is the power of God. This is Paul's first reason here for being unashamed of the gospel, that it belongs to God and it is full of his power. Charles Spurgeon, if you guys know Charles Spurgeon, anybody? Uh, Charles Spurgeon, called the Prince of Preachers, um, someone I would love to be like, you know, in my, in my life, a guy that just was known for preaching the gospel unlike anybody in his day. He said this, this is a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said, the gospel is a lion. 
It doesn't need to be defended. It just needs to be let out of its cage, right? And I love that thought. Now, listen, yes, we need to know it so that we can talk about it, so we can have conversation and help kind of break down walls sometimes for people. That's apologetics and those kind of things. Like, we need to have a a way of explaining and a way of defending what we believe for sure. But what he's saying and what I believe Paul is saying here is, listen, it is not the thing that that we need to kind of supplement and give power to. We don't need to program anything to make the gospel good and powerful. Paul is saying it is power, The gospel message in and of itself, because of who Jesus is and what he has done and the spirit who lives in us and then moves through us to share and bring the gospel to the world, it in and of itself is power. The gospel is the power. It doesn't need us to resource it. It's the resource, right? The gospel is the resource. And I I don't know about you guys, in my life, in my Christian faith, I have found at times that I, I do struggle with that thought, that um, I need to know the right way to say it, the perfect time to say it, right, in the right moment, to the right person, having the right words, saying it the right way, reading the perfect right scriptures or whatever, if I'm going to help somebody see Jesus for who he is. And again, I think there are things we can learn and ways that we can share it, but at the same time, man, y'all, it is the power of God. I think sometimes we just need to get out of its way. Let it have its way in the world. What if, what if we kind of took that seriously, if we really believe that? I think maybe a reason that we act like maybe, maybe you're not ashamed of the gospel, but maybe sometimes we act like it is because we think we need to help it out a lot. We need to help God's power for some reason rather than just sharing it with people as best we can right? Just letting it be the power. Do you trust in that? Do you trust that the gospel is God's gospel? Do you, really, that's a question for you to ask yourself right now. Do you trust the gospel belongs to God and it is his power? Or do you not trust that? If you trust that, I believe you'll live a life unashamed of it and you'll just let it out of its cage all the time. And if you don't, my, my, my encouragement to you would just be to, man, ask the Holy Spirit continually every day to so fill you with the humility and the knowledge of God's gospel that you see it for what it is. It's power that you would just be willing to, to kind of let that lion right out of the cage as often as you can and let it do the work. I've heard it said, I don't remember who said it, but that gospel works best when we let the gospel do the work. Gospel works best when we let the gospel do the work. It's not about you and me having it all figured out all the time. Man, it's just about the gospel being the power of God. Number two, the gospel is the power of God. Number two, the gospel is the salvation, is for the salvation of everyone who believes. Right? So as he continues that verse, I am not ashamed of the gospel because, that word because, guys, that's where all these points are coming from. Because. Why am I not ashamed? Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Believe. So look back to verse 2 through 6 here in chapter 1. He says, The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who, as to his human nature, was a descendant of David. Now, who's he talking to here? Probably the Jews, right? This, this Roman church is made up of Jews and Gentiles, okay? So he's kind of appealing to the Jews. You guys know the scriptures, the Holy Scriptures have told us this, that Jesus is a descendant of David. He was the one to come, right, in the line of David. And he says, who through the spirit of holiness was declared with, here's our word again, power 
to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now he's talking to Gentiles, verse five. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. The gospel is salvation for everyone, he says, who believes. He says to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. Now that does not mean that the Jews were more important than the Gentiles in any way. Um, in fact, this entire letter is written, I think, to unify the church in Rome made up of both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Paul wants to unify them. All he's simply saying here is the Jews learned it first, right? The Jews had the, the, the advantage of the Old Testament scriptures. They had the advantage of Moses and the law. They had the advantage of the prophets. They've heard this for thousands of years as a people, right? So it's to them first. And Jesus being a Jew, right? So so they should, they should be the first ones to see this. But then he says, but it's also to the Greeks. It's also to the Gentiles. Those two words used kind of uh, synonymously in Scripture, Gentile, Greek. So he says, also to you, right? Anybody who's not a Jew, it is to all of us who do what? Who believe that the gospel kind of evens the playing field because it's not about whether or not you are Jewish or Greek. It's not about where you come from, what your background is, what education you have. The gospel has no ethnic heritage. It has no age limit. It has no background checks about what you've done in your life, right? The gospel does not care what your socioeconomic uh, situation is. It doesn't run a credit check on you, okay? The gospel is for everyone who believes, the gospel is for all people, and anyone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ, the gospel is for them, and it's the power of God for their salvation. That is the requirement. It is belief. No matter who you are, where you come from, what you've done, what color your skin is, the gospel doesn't have a color, doesn't have a language. It has all of them, and it is for everyone. This is why Paul boasts in it. Because his gospel is not to one specific group of people only. His gospel is not exclusive to the Jews or to the Gentiles, to any particular ethnic uh, group in the world. The gospel is for all who believe. That, y'all, that is good news. And that is a reason to boast in the gospel and not be ashamed of it. Listen, if you don't understand that part of the gospel, that it is for you and those who are nothing like you, then you will be ashamed to share it. You will be ashamed to talk about it because there will be people in your life or people that you meet who you think the gospel is not for. And you will then be unable to talk about it and share it with joy, with hope. But if you understand that the gospel is for everyone who believes, then there is no hindrance, no impediment to us sharing the gospel with any person at any time. Always. The gospel is for everyone who believes the power of God for salvation. Number three, he says the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. For in the gospel, verse 17, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith. So let's pause there. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. Why does Paul boast in the gospel? Why is he not ashamed of the gospel? Because in the gospel, a righteousness is revealed. Now let's talk about that for a second because here's the bad news. Romans 3.10 says, no one is righteous. This is next week's sermon, by the way. Uh, not, not, the, not the best news in the world, right? No one is righteous. We are all alike under sin. That's the bad news, 
right? But he says, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. So let's read uh, Romans 3, starting in verse 21. By the way, Romans 3, 21 through 26. Um, you can't really see it, but in my Bible, it is squared off, right? That paragraph is squared off, Romans 3, 21 through 26. I think that's the most kind of condensed um, but deep theological paragraph of the gospel in the entire Bible, Romans 3, 21 through 26. It is the gospel explained. Verses 21 and 22 say this, But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. So the Old Testament, he's saying, testified about this gospel, testified that someone would come. Right? Verse 22, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There that is again. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace. And we'll pause there. Let's read Romans 8, 3 through 4. Here's another way of him saying that. He says, for what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son, Jesus, in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. That's the gospel. Jesus sent in the likeness of sinful man as a human being to be a sin offering, to die as payment for sin, not his, yours and mine, right? That Jesus came to die as a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man. That's me in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. So Jesus came to die for our unrighteousness in order to give us his righteousness. That's what Paul says in Romans 1.17. I boast, I am not ashamed of the gospel because in it is revealed the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. And in verse 9 in chapter 1, Romans 1, 9 says, uh, Paul calls it the gospel of his son. So it's the gospel of God, Romans 1, 1. In Romans 1, 9, it's the gospel of his son. Jesus is the revelation of God's righteousness. He is. That is who Jesus is. When he's talking about God's righteousness is revealed, how is God's righteousness revealed? How is the right relationship with God that we need revealed? Because here's the problem, y'all. Here's the essential problem of all people. I know I'm getting ahead a little bit to next week, but again, I just want us to, to have this so firmly in our minds and our hearts. Your biggest problem is not the economy. Your biggest problem is not politics. Your biggest problem is not your coworker or your boss or your wife or your neighbor. Your biggest problem is not a disease or a sickness. Your biggest problem, our big, humanity's biggest problem is unrighteousness. That we are not right with God. That's what it means. Romans 3.10. 3.10. There is no one righteous. And Paul is saying, I'm unashamed of the gospel because in the gospel, God's righteousness is shown to us. How to fix that problem. The one thing you need more than you need anything else. You do realize you can get just about anything in this world you want. Listen, I'll tell you. You work hard enough. You can get pretty much anything you want. You can have it. You can figure out a way to do it. People have done it for hundreds of years. But you won't have righteousness if not for Jesus. And Paul is saying, this is why I'm unashamed of this gospel. That's why I know it's good and I know it's right and I know it's just and I know God is right and holy and good all the time because in the gospel, he has shown us how can I be made right with God? How can I fix that relationship? You can't. 
He can. And he did through his own son paying for your sin on the cross. That's the answer. That's why Paul's not ashamed of it. Guys, if the gospel to you, if, the, if salvation to you, if righteousness to you is about you and about what you can do or about what anybody else can do, you'll always be ashamed of it. You know why? Because deep down you know this truth. You're not righteous. You know that. I don't care how much bravado or confidence you have. I don't care how much self-esteem you work up in yourself by all the self-help books you can read in the world. You will still know deep down you're sinful. You're not perfect. You're broken. You're unrighteous. And if you make it about you working your way to God, then you will always be ashamed because you know it's not possible. But if it's about him having come to us to reveal to us a righteousness in his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, then I will boast in that. Because it ain't about me, it's about him. And he's God. And he's perfect. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm ashamed of me sometimes. I'm not ashamed of him. May we never be ashamed of that. And Paul says, this is why I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Number four, why is Paul not ashamed of the gospel? That it reveals that righteousness is by faith. That it is by faith, right? So the righteousness of God is revealed to us, but again, not by our works, Ephesians uh, chapter two, verses eight, not by works so that no one can boast, right? But by his grace. Here's what he said again in verse 17. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness, listen, that is by faith, from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. He says that the righteousness that God reveals to us in Jesus, how do we receive it? We receive it not by our works, not by us being good, not by us figuring it all out, not by us being able to write a theological treatise on this. It's just by faith in him. And he says, not just is it by faith at the beginning, it's by faith from what? First to last. Here's what I think he means by that. What I think he means by that, and this is scholars kind of go back and forth. Mostly what I'm, what I'm seeing from scholars is that they would agree that what that phrase means from first to last is it just means we begin by faith in Jesus. But guess what? How do we get to heaven? How do we then move from faith in Jesus on forward in our sanctification in our lives, in our purification, in our holiness to become more and more like Jesus? And how do we enter into heaven at the end? You know how we do that? The same way we started, by faith. It's by faith here, it's by faith here, it's by faith here. It's never not by faith. It's not like you start in faith and then you got to figure it out and strap on your, your strongest stuff as much as you can and get all the knowledge you can get so that you can work your way up to Jesus then. It's by faith at the beginning. It's by faith in the middle. It will be by faith you enter into the kingdom for all eternity. Here's what Paul says, Roman, uh, Galatians. Let's go to Galatians if you got it. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, a couple books over. He says this, starting in verse 1. You foolish Galatians. They were believing that it wasn't from faith to faith. Here's what he said. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Christ Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit? That's by faith in Jesus, right? Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing faith? By believing what you heard. Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? 
Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing, does God give you this spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? What is he saying? He said, foolish Galatians, you guys started in faith. You believed in Jesus and that's your righteousness. Are you now convinced by people that now it's up to you to work real hard to get to heaven? He's like, it's ridiculous. You started in faith, you continue in faith. Every day you wake up, you praise God for the cross. That's why every Sunday we sing about these things, right? That's why we rejoice. It's not like you become a Christian, you get baptized, you sing about the cross that day, and then you forget about it, and the rest of the Sundays we're gonna come in here and go, praise God that I worked so hard this week. It's not about that. It is by faith at the beginning. It is by faith in the middle. It will be by faith in the end. Philippians 2, 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and work for his good pleasure. It is God working in you by faith to do the things that he's calling you to do, guys. Christians, we live by faith. And that's how he ends uh, that verse in Romans 1, 17. He said, for the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous, those who are right with God, we live by faith, not by our own works. We don't boast in ourselves. We boast in Christ alone, from faith to faith. This is why Paul is unashamed of the gospel. That's why. Those reasons. Number one, it is the power of God. Two, for salvation to all who believe. Three, because it reveals the righteousness of God. And four, because it shows that that righteousness is by faith. Paul boasts. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. Essentially, to say, if you're going to kind of wrap that all up in one thing, it would be to say this. Paul is unashamed of the gospel because the gospel is not about anything he did or anything you will do or anything I can do. It is about God and his goodness and his love and his grace. And Paul's not ashamed of the gospel because Paul's not ashamed of God, not ashamed of Jesus. So just to kind of conclude today is, is, is a, a, just a real simple question. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Are you ashamed of the gospel? I know that's the question that when you first hear it and you're like, well, no, I love that. I love what I heard. If I'm a Christian, of course, I hear that. And I'm like, yes, I love Jesus. And I'm, I'm not ashamed of him. But the follow-up question would just simply be, if you're not ashamed of the gospel, what evidence is there of that in your life? Is there evidence out there in the world that you're not ashamed of this? You're not ashamed of Jesus. You're not ashamed of his good news. You're not ashamed to say, man, he saved a sinner like me and like you. Is there evidence? And here's why I ask that question, because honestly, y'all, it's easy for us to read Romans, I think in particular, and just get our heads full of deep theological knowledge about stuff. Theology is awesome. I love it. I really do. And I love digging in. And I love learning new things. But to be honest, knowledge can puff us up. Knowledge can make us cold and heady. Knowledge can make us feel like we're better than other people sometimes. The more we know, the deeper we go in theology. But the point of this, the point of Paul starting his letter this way is really to break down our pride 
is to really take the gospel out of just being in our heads and move it into our hearts so that we see the goodness and the glory and the grace of Jesus to us. And he's gonna move forward. And like I said, next we're gonna look at really the nature of sin and what that means for us and why we need the gospel, why it's so important to us. But the reality is, if we don't know this truth, we don't know these truths and see these things and understand why we can boast in the gospel and be unashamed of it. If we don't know that, then we'll never be willing to live our lives according to it or share it with other people who need to hear it, who need to know it, who need to listen, see it in our lives. You know people can see the gospel in your life? You know people can see if you're ashamed or unashamed of Jesus, of his gospel? They need to see it. They need to hear it. They need to know who we trust in. And it's not me, it's him. And if we would live our lives with this truth, these realities in our hearts, then it would be so clear to a watching world that I'm not standing on my righteousness. I'm standing on his and it's all about like we're pointing off of ourselves and on to him every day, every day. Because I think sometimes we just forget what the end goal of all of this is. It is God's glory in the whole world. The whole world. Not just us, not just me. It's not just I believe the gospel and I'm good. Now I sit on the bench and watch the world go by until I enter into heaven. It is I've been changed. I've been transformed. And then Jesus says, now go, go tell it, go share it, go be unashamed of it. What if we were that church? What if we were a church full of people so unashamed of Jesus and his gospel forever? Man, we would live our lives for it. Telling it, living it, showing it, teaching it, studying it serving and loving people, even people that we that have no care about the gospel or care about us, people that are our enemies. Jesus told us to love them as well because we want the world to see Jesus, not us, not our righteousness. And I want to read for us, just to, to, to wrap up, I want to read from the, the book of Revelation. If you have your Bible, flip over to Revelation with me. This is Revelation chapter 7 because I want us to see what the end of this looks like. If we as a church would choose to live our lives unashamed of the gospel, here's the goal of that. The end goal is what Revelation 7 shows us that heaven will be like. And you're gonna see this imagery of, of white robes, people dressed in white robes. And I want you to understand as I read that, just to set it up, as I read that, when you, when you hear that read, that white robe, that is the righteousness of Jesus clothed over you. Okay, that's what the white robe is that we all receive in the end. So here's, I just want you to see the beauty and the glory of Revelation 7, what heaven is actually going to be like for us if we would live our lives unashamed of the gospel. Here's the goal of it. He says this, it's the Apostle John writing in, in Revelation 7, uh, verse 9. He says, After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. That's, that's Jesus. They were wearing, listen, white robes, righteousness. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God 
who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and all the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell down on their faces before the throne. And they worshiped God saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? Guys, that's going to be us. And the elders asked John, these in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. They are the ones unashamed of the gospel in their life. And so in the end, they stand around the throne of Jesus, singing and shouting and praising him in white robes of righteousness. I love that picture at the very end, that he is our shepherd forever, and he will wipe every tear from your eyes. You will never cry again. Not in heaven. Not before the throne of the one who has made you right with God. So, why would we be unashamed of that news? Or why would we be ashamed of that news? Why would we be ashamed of that? Shouldn't we then go live our lives unashamed to tell everybody else that we can tell about what that's going to look like one day if they would just come and know Jesus, trust in him. And maybe that's you today. So listen, we're going to sing again to Jesus. We're going to boast in him through song one more time this morning. Uh, so I'll tell you what, let's just stand together. Let's all just stand together. And as we sing to him, um, listen, as always, y'all, This, if you want to come down and pray, if you need prayer, um, I'll, just, I'll just hang out like over there, if you want me to pray for you, I would love to. Or you can just come down and kneel and pray on your own. If you want to receive Jesus as Lord, Miss Becky's over here. She would love to pray with you as well. If you would like to receive Christ as your Lord this morning, if you know I'm not right with God and I want to experience the salvation of Jesus Christ, I want to know him so that I can boast in him because I can't boast in me. If you know that this morning, maybe for the first time, I'd love to talk with you about that as well. So Miss Becky's actually... She's over here. She would pray with you as well. I'll, I'll be over here. So let's sing. Let's praise him. Let's pray.